Welcome birders, this is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. It's daylight savings time now. I haven't really thought through my opinion on daylight savings time. Uh, when we set the clock back in the fall to make it get light a little bit earlier in the day on the clock, and but it gets dark so doggone early here. It's 4.30 in the afternoon and it's already dark outside. Just drives me crazy. Makes me want to go south where it's warmer and the days are longer in this time of year. It makes me know that summer is behind me. Gets me a little sad. I made some sort of a whiny comment about that on Facebook the other day. And Tom Mansfield, a, a really strong Washington birder, he was the first Washington birder to get 200 species in every county. Just a, a almost a legend in his own time. Uh, Tom kind of bad, commented back on me, I'm sure makes owling easier. And he's right. Now, this time of year around here when the owls are just tuning up, getting their songs going before they mate early in the, early in the winter, uh, the owls are pretty vocal. And gosh, you can go out and get an hour or two of owling in before dinner. Uh, pretty cool thing to say. Tom is definitely a half cup, cup half full sort of guy. I like that. Here in Washington, uh, in the winter, it can be quiet out in the forest. You know, sometimes you can go on a walk in the field or in the woods and it seems like there's not a bird around. You don't hear a doggone thing. Uh, Unlike the spring when uh, everything seems in full song and all of the migrants are here, they've mostly left by this time of year. So we're looking for mixed flocks or just any kind of bird sounds to drag us to where a bunch of birds might be. But experienced birders just intuitively uh, know what they're hearing. They, when something is different, when they hear a bird call or a bird song that they don't recognize, they go, ooh, what's that? Let's go check that out. They, it really helps uh, draw you to find out what you're seeing in the woods and can be overwhelming for new birders. The cacophony of bird songs, especially in the, in the spring or summer when lots of birds are singing and calling, can just seem overwhelming and, and seem impossible. I know when I was beginning birding, the thought of birding by ear it just seemed impossible. I knew a crow, maybe or a robin or something, but to really understand most of the things you're hearing in the woods seemed like, how could you even possibly learn all of that? It just seemed overwhelming. But I came across a series of birdsong teaching tapes. Back in those days, they were big old cassette tapes by uh, the Peterson series, and they were really good. Uh, they were the Birding by Ear series by Walt, Walton and Lawson, and, and they put bird songs in a framework. There's a, a, a set of uh, tapes on eastern eastern United States and a set for the western U.S. And I recommend them. They're still very good and very relevant, and they help uh, put songs in groupings and pairings and point out the differences. Really helped me organize my thoughts about bird songs and, and make me think it was possible to, to learn bird songs. I wasn't, you know, just in so far over my head, I couldn't learn them. And that was how I got started with birding by ear. And it's really uh, helps a lot. Nowadays, we have apps on our phone with just about every species in North America on one of the apps, Sibley's app or National Geographic or iBird Pro, whatever app you use has a list of all the species and a variety of songs and calls by those species that really help uh, help you learn what you might be hearing. Uh, so, is that what I'm hearing? And bring it up on your app. Tell you that might be it. That's good. Uh, so I find that very helpful. Uh, but I've been waiting for someone to figure out how to incorporate bird songs into a podcast format. I tried on one episode with uh, Sharon Steitler, Bird Chick, uh, and I uh, played some played some recorded bird songs, and she commented on them, and we talked. I mostly thought it would be fun to have somebody describe what they're hearing and how they think about it. You know what what. Not so much quiz them to see if they can identify it, but more how does an experienced birder 
think about what they're hearing. They describe it, how do they put it in context, and therefore figure out what it is. thought that would be good, but just technically it was challenging, and I just didn't keep that up. Then I stumbled on recently a new podcast, song, the Songbirding Podcast. Rob Porter, an Ontario-based birder, does this podcast, and it is really good. He uses a simple and wonderful format. He simply walks through the woods with a quality recorder and records what he's hearing and does essentially a play-by-play of what he's hearing. It's almost like you know when you're listening to a baseball game on the radio, you hear the ball game in the background, the crack of the bat and the crowd yelling and that sort of thing. And the announcer tells you, pitch is blown outside, big swing, fly ball to right field, you know, uh, going back, going back, you know, you hear it, and, and it kind of describes what's going on. Well, Rob does this for birding. It's really cool. You hear him shuffling through the woods, the leaves rustling under his feet, and he's pointing out what he's hearing. That repeated song that you're hearing, that's a red-eyed vireo. They're very vocal birds. They're singing all the time. Uh, that repeated call, hear that? That's red-eyed vireo. And in the far background, that's an indigo bunting. And he goes on, and it's really cool. And it it's just helps you realize how a birder thinks. And it's just, I feel like I'm out with one of my buddies birding. When we go birding, Ken Brown and I or Bruce or various birders and I go out birding, we'll often comment to each other what we're hearing. Do you hear the Pacific Wren on the right? Yeah, okay, good. Fox Bear on the left. Yeah, that's a robin out ahead. Flicker in the far background. Uh, we'll comment as to what we're hearing, just kind of quietly to each other. And it's like this, like you're out birding with a buddy and Rob is the one commenting to you. I find it really fun part of the game. Well, on the songbirding podcast, Rob is like your birding buddy, and he does it really well. I think it's really freaking cool. Anyway, today I have Rob as my guest on the Bird Banner Podcast, episode 39. So let's welcome Rob Porter to the show. So Rob, welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast. Well, it's great to be on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I've been waiting forever for someone to make a, a podcast just like yours, you know, recording bird sounds out in the field and narrating them. And so you feel like you're out there with you. I've been really enjoying it. Oh, that's good to hear. It's uh, It was a little counterintuitive doing it at first because as someone who's done a lot of bird song recording, I'm used to trying to avoid being in the, you know, recording. So um, yeah, it was a uh, it, it took a while for me to figure out that this format would work. Yeah, good, good. Well, I'm glad that it does because it's mysterious. You know, you, you feel it's almost like he's on safari. I can hear him <laughs> going through the grass. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. So how did you come up with the idea, the the idea of doing a podcast, uh, sort of li- not live, but uh, real time recorded in the field? Yeah, I mean, for a, a couple of years now, I had some ideas for doing a podcast at some point. Um, it just didn't occur to me this particular format um, at first, um, because I listen to, like, I do listen to podcasts, but I usually listen to fairly narrative podcasts, like storytelling, you know, true sure. true crime, those kinds of things. And I'll listen to the occasional right. uh, interview and other kinds of pod- discussion podcasts um, mm-hmm. and uh, audiobooks. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Um, but the, uh, the idea of just going out and recording as simple as it sounds, (laughs) just didn't occur to me right away. Doesn't, doesn't sound simple. doesn't sound simple at all. Okay. Well, it's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. No. Yeah. I, I, and it seems like you kind of continue them for a while. You go on, you hear things, maybe it's quiet for a little bit and there's not too much. And then you get something else. So it, and that's the way birding it is. is. You're not looking at a bird every second of the time you're out yeah. there. 
And that background, little background movement noise really carries you through those times because you can sort of feel, okay, what's he going to see next? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, for years I had all these ideas of all kinds of different things. And then I kind of, I think I realized eventually that, you know, all these different ideas aren't really one podcast. They're probably several different ones. Um, exactly. And uh, so I had a trial run with one kind earlier this year with uh, my local naturalist club, which I'm a member of and a board member of. Um, we had a, uh, a bioacoustics project I got started with where um, we started recording. Uh, we, we got one of the Cornell Swift recorders, which is a bioacoustic recorder that you just leave somewhere and it continuously records. And we were using it to monitor our sanctuaries because our club owns several uh, sanctuaries and we wanted to know what was going on in them. So I thought, well, this would be great. We get this recorder, we put it out there. Uh, it records 24 seven. And as we were going through this project, we realized, hey, we got these great recordings that people might want to listen to and came up with the idea of that, you know, a podcast would be a good format to share that on. So we released sure. this one called Soundscapes, which uh, is just soundscapes, no narration, no interpretation or anything, a little mild editing to remove those airplanes and cars that go over, go by sometimes. And other than that, it was just straight and simple. And that, uh, that gave me uh, some ideas. And I was discussing with some of the other members of that, uh, the bioacoustics group about, um, hey, maybe with all these other recordings, we take something a little further. Uh, maybe we could bunch together, for example, you get a whole bunch of song sparrow recordings and you put together a little podcast about how to recognize the song sparrow. And then, but that sure. idea was a little complicated because then you get into probably scripting, narration, storyboarding, all of that. But one of the parts of that I thought would be, well, you also want to have someone go out there live looking for this. Like here it is in the habitat uh, with not just a, you know, a kind of impersonal box sitting in the middle of nowhere listening, but someone actually out there. And uh, so as I gave that a trial run while I was uh, in the Bruce Peninsula on vacation. And it, I realized then that, wait, this, this, this part could just be the podcast itself. Just this one part, you know, script, there's no, <laughs> nothing like that. So oh, no. that makes it easier. Yes, it's extremely well done. I, I feel like, boy, you, you, the Bruce Peninsula was, a, I've, I haven't listened to the ones that were just released in the last day or two, but the Bruce Peninsula ones are, you feel like it's, it's really quiet there. Yep. I mean, it, you have to pick a place that doesn't have airplanes overhead and cars going yeah. by too much, too much. You know? and uh, you feel like you're really in a wilderness area. I don't know how remote it is, but yeah, it feels yeah. very remote. Well, what it is, is, um, so I was there for the week, so I've got a week, yeah, a week's worth of recording. So really what I have is uh, I decided to take all of those recordings and I'm making kind of what I'm calling for now limited series, kind of a season of uh, mm -hmm. episodes. So what you've probably heard so far, we're just, just Otter Lake, just one location on the peninsula. I heard three, yeah, three yeah. recordings, yeah. three podcast episodes on that place. Yeah, yes. so that was one place. And then there will be, I can't think off the top of my head, how many other places there are. I think it's like eight or nine other places. It will, it will end up being... A, a nice series. Very yeah, good. it'll end up probably being about 20 or so. I don't know the exact number yet because uh, my process was more to make. I, I made about eight uh, at first and trial used some trial audiences uh, over the course of about a month or so to uh, run it by a few people, see what they thought. And so sure. uh, once I made the kind of second drafts of those, which are what's going out as the, the podcast now, 
now I'm working on the, you know, back half of them <laughs> and getting those done. Exactly. Good for you. Good for you. I wish you all the best. I think it's going to come out really well. Thanks. Have you been birding for a long time? Yeah. Um, I would say more seriously since about, I would say 2012, but uh, I've mm -hmm. always, you know, I grew up on a farm, so I was very aware of birds there. I, you know, I had a field guide and everything, although birder wasn't a term I really knew. I didn't really know anybody who was. And uh, outdoor stuff was always interesting to me. So, I mean, I knew the feeder birds. I knew the tall grass prairie birds because we were on a farm. We had those um, right. and a few others. And I knew there were certain birds. I was like, oh, I want to see that, but I have no idea where to find it. And uh, But you fast forward, years later, I go to university uh, from the city. And, uh, you know, one day I'm hearing something I've never heard in my life. And I think, what is that? That's bugging me. What What's that bird? And then... Now, all of a sudden, you know, now there's digital cameras that you can, you know, zoom in a fair bit and actually get a photo of something that you can compare. Or, you know, there's apps now that you can listen, actually hear birdsong to compare with. Uh, whereas before, all you had to go off of was descriptions in a book or maybe, maybe a spectrograph. I did have the Golden Guide growing up. Okay. which had the little spectrographs, yeah. but I didn't know how to read them, really. I didn't know what they <laughs> yeah. were, sure. They were interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking speaking of spectrographs, I, you put up a, a, a YouTube version of these with uh, spectrograms uh, as they go yeah. along. That is really cool. Oh, thanks. It's uh, it's something I wanted to do since, you know, since I got the episodes together, because I realized one of the things of, I mentioned before, the uh, devices we have out on the club sanctuaries, the way we get through all those hours and hours and hours, and it's now at the point of thousands of hours of recordings we have, but we haven't got through all of them, but you know we've probably gotten through hundreds uh, in last winter, like last year's winter. Uh, the way we get through a lot of those easily is you open up the files into a program that'll turn to spectrographs, so that you mm -hmm. can then go and, you know, they're forty-minute files each one, and some like if there's nothing on that file, I can tell pretty much right away within a minute. Oh, nothing here. Next, you know. And so you can get through an entire day's worth of recordings in you know an hour or two hours, depending on how much is in there. And uh, so I learned last winter how to read spectrographs, and I thought, oh, this would be really interesting to turn podcasts into a video that has that. Uh, but it just took a while to find the technique to do it. I, I am a programmer, so I can usually figure these things out, but there wasn't much published out there on how to do this. So I'll be publishing at some point on how to do it for technical folks. That would be cool because I would have no clue as to how to, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I, the only way I know how to make a spectrum is put my recording on eBird and it gives me one back. <laughs> exactly. That's, exactly. And they, that's how I do it. They don't have a, I don't think they have a published method of how they do it. So they must have something in house they're using and um, no other podcasters out there uh, really have a desire to put their stuff into spectrogram or spectrograph. The, the term is interchangeable uh, because um, human voices don't aren't really terribly interesting in spectrograph. I was going to say I I don't want to see a spect spectrogram of your yeah. voice particularly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, maybe music is interesting sometimes in spectrograph, but all pretty much all human voices look about the same in them. Whereas bird sounds they stand out like anything. So it's really interesting to see. I can perceive other iterations of what you're doing if you really get into this. Yeah. You know, travel somewhere, get a local birder to go out with you, and and tell you tell you what they're hearing in an mm -hmm. area you don't know the birds as well. Something like that might be. Fun. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something I've thought about. Uh, it's you know, so we'll see one step at a time. But yeah, it's uh, 
I it, it took me. I did some time researching, and I was really surprised I didn't come across anybody else who had done this kind of a podcast or you mm-hmm. know something to this extent. I think I think the mindset has been kind of set since the days of the tapes and things like that when you had the field tapes, right? And those tapes you wanted to fit on as many species as you could in one tape or later on cds right so they would get you know small little clips here and there they would never be in the field recordings immersive several minutes or whatever of you know here's this bird in the field it would always be as short as possible so it can fit as many species as possible but i think that mindset continued into the online world Uh, and so now what we see on allaboutbirds.com and things like that is you just see these old tape uh, CD recording style things where you just get the little tiny clips without any context. And so uh, it looks like that's kind of a, a notion that needs to be maybe challenged a little bit in terms of like yes. there are other ways to do this now and ways that you can, it, it, being a bit more immersive also would probably help. I, I think it'll just even help me. Like I'll be able to listen to these in the winter and not forget what bird something is or what song something is when they come back in the spring. <laughs> it, it is always a new learning every spring, isn't it? It is. I know that. Ooh, 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 that's what yeah. it is. Yes, yeah. I remember. Yeah. 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 Re- retune your ears, what I call Exactly. It. Especially when the warblers hit you right in the spring. It's uh, at least around here. There's a ton of different ones. We only have five or six, so it's a little oh, easier. Oh, okay. But, so uh, you have it easier. Not as much fun. Yeah. Not as much fun, but easier. Yes. Uh, so how, how did you get so interested in bird song and learning bird songs? Uh, it, it sounds like that's a passion of yours. How did, yeah. how did that become? Uh, after a while, when I got to, like the, when I got more into birding, it was partly because uh, I just helped start a, a tech company. And for about a year, I was burning myself out working round the clock on the computer. So I needed to get outside. Uh, and uh, that led to me, you know, going around doing a lot of hiking, just trying to get away as much as I could. Uh, and sure. I took a camera with me that started photographing birds and bringing back the photos. And oh, what's this? This is interesting. And then that kind of spiraled into using eBird and finding, you know, oh, I can now find birds around here. I don't have to leave the city, you know, hours away to find something interesting. Um, and that led me into getting more involved in the local naturalist club to the point where I started leading outings uh, for people. Mm -hmm. And everyone was a little, seemed to be, they're always remarking, how do you know what these birds are? How can you hear that? Uh, Why are you able to distinguish that? And uh, one of my, I think one one of the reasons, probably one of my degrees I did in university was music. So I spent a Mm -hmm. fair bit of time training my ears with that. I also have a theater and film degree, so that I spent some time audio editing and working on, you know, planning sound designs and things like that. So uh, maybe just having trained ears and uh, I haven't, I don't think I've suffered any significant hearing loss over the years. So uh, I seem to be able to pick out things a little quicker than most people. So it became, that really helps. Yeah, it helps immensely when you're out birding because especially if you're leading a group of people. Uh, you can then know where, what direction you should be going or pick something out before it arrives so you can tell people what they should be expected to be seeing. Uh, it just, yeah, it helps so much more. So it also means you're not bringing your binoculars up to your head all the time if you can tell mm-hmm. what something is by ear. 
kind of almost helps you know not what not to look yeah, at. Yeah, exactly. I exactly. Birding says, if you know that's a house sparrow, you know, it's easy. Yeah. You just don't have to look. You can you can look for the bird you're not sure what it is or the one that's more interesting. Yeah. Well, and the most interesting part is always, most interesting part is always when you get to know a space really well and then you hear something you don't recognize at all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And so there are a few species with just innumerable calls. Yes. It just kills you. I mean, song sparrow can make so many yep. different notes. Or be, out here we have bewicks room. Yep. I mean, and anytime you hear a loud noise, you don't know what it is. Bewicks room. Oh <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. Pretty much the joke. Yeah. So the same around here for blue jays. Often they have a, a wide variety of calls, and oh, uh, what else? Uh, of course, starlings and. Uh, uh, other uh, like mockingbirds and stuff like that might have some variation sure. as well too. But I think usually the joke is with uh, blue jays around here. Yes, every every area has their own <laughs> loud, obnoxious bird that's there pretty much to uh, make you wonder what you hear. Mm-hmm. So, do you? Uh, I started following you on Facebook after I found your your podcast, mm-hmm. and I like that. I liked. I just saw the one quiz you put up. It was a uh, you know. I don't know, a brief recording, and you said, what's this? And he came up with the answer a little while later. I said, I like that. That's a nice, uh, yeah, nice yeah. teaser. So that would be on free episode. That would be on Twitter, actually, because I know I don't have a oh, Facebook. It was on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It must have been on Twitter. I, I saw it somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you are, I think you're uh, Songbirding Pod. Yes. At Songbirding Pod on Twitter yep. and Instagram. Some other I do stuff. have, Instagram. we do have it on Instagram. Instagram. I just, I don't use Instagram very often, so I, I set it up, but there's only a couple posts there really right now. Um, but I use Twitter a lot, so that's usually where I place things. So people can direct message you on Twitter. Exactly. Get a hold of you, I'm sure. Exactly. Very well. Good. It's always good to have some way to reach out to people yeah. you've heard yeah. about, like on, on this episode. So that's good. Uh, what what uh, other passions do you have uh, for birding or other other things you like music? You're interested in music. It sounds like you uh, are a bird yeah. and you know, a song birder, especially. I do I do a lot of uh, like other birding. I do I do a lot. Of, I don't know. I, my birding has changed over the years. At first, it was kind of about seeking out as many spots in the area I could to just find out what's around. Uh, seek out uh, new spots that nobody had been checking. Uh, occasionally I would find something really interesting somewhere where just, uh, you know, the local birders weren't checking out very much. Um, Mm -hmm. I got involved uh, in a lot of the surveys and things like that. So we have a fall bird count here. We obviously have Christmas bird counts uh, here. Um, So I, at one point I I have become the, uh, the Christmas bird count coordinator for uh, this city. So for Hamilton, Ontario, it's a big one. Yeah. It's a, it's a, very old Christmas bird count too. Uh, we're en- we're entering our 99th year this year for oh my the. Uh, and what what's your area called? I'm sorry. Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, okay. this is a small city just west of Toronto, and mm-hmm. we have at around a hundred counters involved in that. Oh, wow. Uh, and some of them have been doing this count their entire lives. <laughs> it's uh, it's wow. quite interesting to organize. Um. It's a it's a it's a really neat mix of people who have been doing it for ages and new people who have discovered birding in the last few years. It goes back this, this counts data, so I'm interested sometimes in the data aspect of it because I'm a sure. programmer type. So uh, the data for this we we have going back goes back to 1921, 22. I want to say yeah, 1922, 
And wow. we have written accounts for every year since then, including the very first one was just a couple couple people out birding and you know this very short list, which included sure. at least one species that doesn't occur here anymore, the Canada jay. And oh, wow. um, so it's it's interesting to see how things changed over the years and the data. Um, for example, one of the, the points I like to always point out to people if they're interested in how our account historically has gone is that back in the 80s, we had the starling invasion when it became kind of the, oh, okay. it became the European starling count, more or less, because mm-hmm. there was at least one year where we broke six digit numbers for birds, but 77,000 of them were starlings. <laughs> So that's a lot of stars. Yeah. But these days it's down to four digits for the starlings. So they they have locally stabilized or something has happened, but it's uh, so it's been a it's a really fascinating count because I don't know if you know much about the area we're in, but it's right on the west end of Lake Ontario or north of Lake Erie. Uh so oh, okay. it's kind of a natural um a little, you know, collection of edge habitats. Uh, it's a natural oh, yeah. flyway for migration, so there's all kinds of interesting things that pass through Hamilton. So sure. it's a maybe not so much for the CBC. Uh, it you'd be surprised. That. You'd be surprised. We we often break a hundred species in the Chris's bird count. So wow. it's uh, it's. I think it generally. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it generally ranges between ninety to one hundred and ten or so species per year. So it's uh, does well. Now, something that amazed me, I've been to Point Paley, oh, Okay. and something that amazed me is how far south that part of Ontario yes. is. Yes. I mean, you think of it, I think, oh, it's Canada, it's way up north. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really not. It's, I mean, it's kind of mid-Atlantic uh, latitude. It is, kind of, it is. Uh, incredibly far south. And yeah, and we're just east of there. So it's, um, yes. we're about, I think where we're at is equivalent to Oregon or so, if we go straight west. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe Northern California, if you go in the really far south in Canada, uh, but yeah, in that area. So it's it's further south than people expect, partly because it's you know way below that uh, the line. Everybody was it the forty ninth parallel? Wait, forty yeah, but the one that goes yeah. above the Dakota. Yeah, yeah, yes. that. See, that's I'm rarely up that far north at all, and uh, so. But that's what a lot of people think of when they think Canada. That's what I think, and I'm from Maine. I think of Canada oh, yeah. as you know way up, way up there. Yep. So it's uh, yeah, it's yep. it's a different. There's a big cup shaped dip in the middle of the country. yeah, exactly. And it's a really fascinating yeah. birding spot because of that. The Great Lakes are uh, an amazing oh. birding area, and for sure, it's uh, this this province. Like a lot of people don't realize unless you live here how gigantic the province we live in is. It's just unfathomable how large it is. You, there are places you can only fly to. There are places that touch the Arctic that are part of this oh province. Goodness, so, 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 th- so there's no uh, Ontario. Ontario goes all the way to the Arctic. There's nearly, not a, yeah. A province above it. There is a territory above it. There is. Um, a ter- a territory. Yeah. So, yeah, I know the Canadian terms, but it's uh, you know, and it's. It's interesting bird-wise because the province list, you know, equivalent of a state list, is approaching right. 500 now. Oh, wow. It's, so you've got 
like not not for, for me for personally, a, but for the province itself. Right, but for for a, a landlocked state, one that doesn't have Pacific or Atlantic. That's no, a big it does have Hudson's Bay though, which does probably help some. Oh, I guess. Um, but yeah. yes, it's uh, so people who do. Um, there have been two records broken in the last few years for Ontario big lists, big year. And both of them, they were young and they spent a fair bit of money on travel time. <laughs> one mm-hmm. of them had to do at least one flight at one point. It's that this far. Big, it's that big. Big years. Yeah, big years. Yeah. Yeah. What were the numbers? Oh, it's okay. I think it was around the 340 or so was the last one. I, I'm, I know it's over the 300. It's into the three, yeah, three thirty, three forty. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's in that range. So that's got to be a lot of work. Yes, yeah, and uh, a lot of fun, depending on how you think about depends, it. Depends, depends. Yeah, both of them had jobs that were field work, so they had to travel around the province anyway. So I think that helped a bit. Okay. But <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't hurt to have a another reason to go places besides just some way to pay to get exactly, there exactly. But yeah, I mean, data, data has been something. So like data has been something that's been interesting to me. So I keep, you know, I keep an eye on that kind of stuff. And um, although personally, when I go out birding now, I'm more about sticking to the kind of the same spots often and getting to know how they change throughout the year. And that's a whole, a whole undervalued aspect of birding is having your own passion exactly. and getting to really know it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that's been interesting. And um, the patch I've been looking over mostly is it's a part of a it's actually land that's owned by the local university, the university I went to, and uh, they have started taking interest in making it into a conservation space. So I've been helping them set up things like a bluebird trail, and we might oh, nice. be doing a purple martin thing soon. So uh, those cool. are little other aspects I've been getting into. And, uh, yeah, that are interests to me. Very nice. Uh, so uh, I want to get back to your yeah. podcast just a little bit. Uh, are there technical things that you get advice you can give to people regarding recording? A lot of us are, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you recorded these on your iPhone, which I think is pretty, they have such a nice recorder in, in the iPhone. Do you use an app, particular app? Uh, at the time I was just using the voice memo app because it was just kind of straight, simple. You hit record and mm-hmm. <laughs> you hit done when you're okay. done. Um, yeah. Now, since then, I've been doing some more recordings with uh, another device. I bought myself a Zoom, excuse okay. me, a Zoom H1N, I think it's called, the Sony. Yeah, um, I, have, I, have a, I have a Zoom, yep. a two-channel Zoom yep. that I use for sometimes when I have people in to do the podcast in my, in my home. Yeah, so, so yeah, same idea. Yeah, same Those idea. Nice the reason I've started that switch is partially practical because um, one of the problems I was occasionally having on the phone uh, not so much up there because there just wasn't much cell range anyways, uh, is you can get interference from the phone. Uh, it's kind of hard to look stuff up in apps when you're recording. <laughs> and uh, yes. it can also burn your battery down pretty quickly doing stuff like that. While, sure. you know, in that case, because cell towers were slightly out of range, that's actually the thing that burns your battery down very quickly. Um, so it, it's nice to have a dedicated device. But if you are using your phone, yeah, certainly. I think the more important part was the microphone. Phone I was using with it. Um, and what did you use? I, I used one called, it's an Edutage uh, model, Edutage EIM001. They have EIM and ETM001s. Both of those are for Android and iPhone. One's for one, okay. one's for the other. And what they mm-hmm. are is they are 
two important parts to them are one that they're omnidirectional, so they right. listen to around. everything around. And the mm-hmm. other is that they're high gain mic, so they basically bump it up twenty decibels. Well, amp- will amplify. Yes. yes. So okay, and it makes it a little louder than it, when it records a little louder. Exactly. So which is a nice feature. Yeah. Especially so, some of your you hear you know when when you're birding you hear the birds that are close and you hear the birds in the background. Yeah. And you can you can hear those in your recordings. It's very nice. You you'll be saying well, that's a common yellow. Yeah. And in the background, do you hear the chickadee or do you hear the the whatever the swamp sparrow trilling in the background? Exactly. Nice. Yeah. And that's uh, you know I think a lot of traditional recording in the field is usually the parabolic mics and you got the headphones on. You're walking around with headphones and pointing in certain directions. Exactly. This, right. this is a different style um, that's a bit mm-hmm. more casual. It did mean that it it's easier to do alone because there's not a second person to worry about them making sounds or, you know, I can control right. when I walk, uh, you know, or little things mm-hmm. I do, uh, or, you know, I, also you don't have quite as much gear. Exactly. I mean, just practically, I mean, if you can have binos and a camera and a parabolic, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't even move. You exactly. Know? Just, so, so how big is this microphone? It's oh, like it's tiny. Carry. It's tiny. It's, they were originally designed as lav mics. So they were originally used to microphone up like theater actors or film actors. Oh, uh, so, okay. and they're not very, expensive either i think it was fifty dollars when i bought it it was not much uh so something anyone could you know oh, most exactly. people could afford if they chose yeah to. exactly yeah. and uh, the only thing i recommend is you get the fuzzy windscreen on it because exactly. they're an extremely extremely sensitive mic um i so my first uh, trial run out recording uh, this podcast, it was a little bit of a windy day and I tried to cut it into an episode at first and it just didn't work because it was a little too much interference from wind and noise and all that because of that. And right. cause it just picks that up so much. It wasn't so much of the blowing sound, but as much as it was just one of the things you don't realize until you're out recording, um, with an omnidirectional mic is that trees are noisy when it's windy. <laughs> <laughs> the leaves are rustling, yeah. the trees are creaking and snapping. Yeah. I'm sure, all of that background stuff, and to, to sort that out when you're trying to point out a, a little chip, note, yeah. it's got to be difficult. Yeah, and I think what I might do is I'll probably take pieces from that episode and release some bonus content or something, little bonus episodes of pieces sure. of it or something at some point, because some yeah. of it's actually quite okay. But uh, yeah, it's you become like when you record like this, you become very hyper aware of everything going on around you. Um, certainly anytime there's an airplane, uh, a car going by a train, any of those things you stop and you wait and wait <laughs> until that goes away or yes. you have to end up cause you can't schedule the birds in any way. You know, if that bird you want to sing is going to sing in the middle of a plane going over, then that's what it's going to do. But, uh, yes. yeah, it's, so it can be a slightly frustrating, um, thing in that way and i don't know that there's anywhere in ontario you can escape to and not get airplanes at the very least so um, exactly so there's certainly that i have had to either edit out or just live with in certain parts um sure but i did i did continue recording more when i came back to hamilton after vacation so i I may have some content for you know another set of stuff Uh, but i'm kind of aiming right now to have just this one set of things, see how that goes, and then do something else, maybe. 
decide next summer if you want to make some more recordings. Yeah. It, well, it'd be something that would, it's probably more interesting to do during the breeding season when some birds are singing. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's something I'm going to experiment with. I've, I've recorded a little bit in the fall just to see what I can do. Uh, certainly the amount of percentage of material that I can keep is lower. Um, but there are some things that are I, I forgot about, you know, and, until I started doing this that, well, wait, we have, you know, white crown sparrows and white throat sparrows both kind of show up in our area mm-hmm. in October. Uh, and they, they're oh. both fairly singy in the morning. They actually practice song, you know, in the fall, right? Yeah, they have that, what do they call it, the... Uh autumnal recrudescence oh okay like i that. didn't know it. the term for that there's there's i think that's for like autumnal recrudescence of the song okay <laughs> yeah so I'm... it's for and and crown sparrows is on a tricky are particularly known for that they uh in the fall especially they uh they have a time right about now yeah. or maybe uh, maybe a week or two ago when they would just Sing it, and it's not quite the same song. No. It's a little bit hoarse, and it's a little bit kind of crackly. It's not not that clear, you know, white crown sparrow song, but it's a just a little bit different. Exactly, because we, we don't get enough white throated sparrows up here for, oh, okay. for me to say much about that. Yeah. When we get those, those are a hotline bird. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. It's more here. We get more more of the white throated, and the white crown are kind of limited to certain areas around here, and uh, we also get in those flocks sometimes a few Lincoln sparrows. And uh, in song sparrows mixed in with them too. Do Harris's sparrow get that no? Far over? Unfortunately, not. No, they're a, yeah, once every other winter. Uh, for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being on the episode today. I really appreciate having you. I think it's going to be a fun one for people to listen to, yeah. and I hope that they can enjoy your podcast. I'll put a plug out for it uh, on, on social media and uh, from this episode. Uh, so where can they find the podcast? Uh, it, it's on all the usual podcast feeds? Yeah, on all the usual feeds. So you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. Um, you can also just go to songbirding.com and it'll there's a subscribe button and it'll show all the different subscription services you could go through. Um, and you know, on Twitter at uh, songbirdingpod is the main thing I promote for social media. I'll make sure people know how to get a hold of you. And I hope your podcast is fabulously successful and you keep doing it. It sure is fun listening for me. It's one of those that I find I prefer to listen to at home rather than in the car. Exactly. That little background noise from the car is not good when you're trying to hear a chip note. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good. Well, thanks again, Robert. I appreciate you coming on to me today and uh, wish you all the best. Thanks. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 39 with Rob Porter. I'll make sure I leave links to Rob's website and to where you can find the Songbirding Podcast, both in the podcast episode notes and also on my blog on birdbanner.com. I'll make sure I'll also put up links on my Facebook page and on my Twitter feed. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good birding. Good day.